If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be death-defying, and here is why. In this episode, we find some answers to why do character deaths cause so much turmoil, and how do we turn them into grand moments that will go down in legend, <laughs> and what items can help the party cheat death in fun ways. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. I've considered murdering you a few times. And I've considered how to dodge your blows best. <laughs> I will not be taken down by you. In reality, who better to be taken down by? I'm going to outlive you. First of all, I'm five years younger. I will live longer out of spite. <laughs> not the way you drink beer. <laughs> well, today we're talking about character death. Yes, not our deaths. The absolutely most dreaded part of D&D for me. There is... Nothing quite like the fear of losing the character that you have been working on and playing as for months. Yeah. Even after you first create one sometimes, you're just like, yes, this is my finest work. I never want to lose it. Yeah. It will live on forever. <laughs> well, not if DMs have their way. The ones that like that kind of gaming style anyways. Yeah. So I think there's a huge dissonance between... Story first DMs who disagree with the huge chunk of DMs that like, you know, rules is written, like play it raw. And that's why I almost don't get most of the arguments I see online, because you're just playing two games and you're arguing over <laughs> the fact that you're playing two games. Like, it's fine. <laughs> arguing about the rules in Battleship versus the rules in Sorry. Yeah. And it's like, well, the rules are different. Well, yes, you're playing very different games. <laughs> Why are you trying to make them the same? <laughs> well, we definitely fall on the side of kind of story first DMs. We sit somewhere probably in the happy middle. But I think that this is a universal problem. Death, regardless of what kind of game you're playing, if executed poorly, feels like a slap in the face yeah. and can cause a ton of stress on DMs. I think one of the best things that I can say off the jump is don't try to kill characters <laughs> just let them die if they're gonna die but if you've got a dm or you are a dm that takes glee in killing characters get a different hobby <laughs> take up shoveling yeah i know those dms i've met a few of them where there are notches on their belt where they're like I've killed 15 player characters. It's like, that's not something to be proud of. And the thing that I don't get most is like, yeah, that would be super easy. <laughs> you can just say that these characters are dead all day. You're the referee. You're the person that decides what happens in this world. Yeah, it's like in Sims when you would lock a Sim in a room with no wall. <laughs> you put them in the pool with no, no way of getting out. Exactly. It's super easy when you're in control of the world. <laughs> and then there's also that just aspect of, hey, let the dice fall where they may. And that's fine. You can absolutely just let rolls be rolls. And if a player dies, they die. 
But the challenge there is you're crafting these challenges. And again, going back to you're the DM, you're the one that decides what happens. So therefore, you need to be able to handle them really well. And we think there's a little more you can do before the death that helps lead to much more satisfying experiences. I've been on plenty of social media groups where there are DMs that are confessing that they thought that they were ready to take a player character's life. And then they are regretting all of their decisions up until that point. They finally see that there are a lot of other things that come with a character death that are beyond just like, oh, well, that character is gone. Time to move on. And so I see them post saying, hey, I feel really bad for killing this character. I didn't mean to. Was there something that I could have done differently? And I don't care if you're on Facebook or Reddit or Twitter. There's plenty of DMs out there that are going through this right now. Yeah. And that can lead to having everyone at the table just unhappy. Feeling a little cheated, angry, scared. Hard to get back on that path where everyone's kind of trusting each other almost. And it's totally possible to have satisfied players when their character dies. This has happened. I mean, I think you and I have sat on both sides of that coin at some point in our DMing careers where we've had players that felt like they were cheated and we've had other players that said, hey, this was really good. Wrapped it up in a way that's acceptable, if not <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> At its very core, character death is absolutely necessary in the game to give that feeling of ever-present threat. And it adds drama and feeling and risk to the world. So it has to be there, but it can be messed up really easily. It's what makes adventurers adventurers. If nobody died, then the townspeople could go clear out those dungeons. <laughs> the farmers could just take care of the, it. The 10 year old with his little uh, ball and paddle <laughs> is just going in through the dungeons and clearing it out. There you go. Whoever's got enough free time on their hands can go clear out dungeons. <laughs> Send the children into the dungeon. <laughs> That's what makes the heroes heroes is having to face death. So we need to figure out how to strike this wonderful tonal balance and make sure that character death is integrated with a game in a really good way. And we're going to do that in the Strategy Stateroom. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So you kind of have to consider death at every stage of the game. And that's what we're going to go through. So we're going to start with the session zero. Before you've even started playing, there is a few key things that we can look at at this very critical planning stage. The second is prepping for character death. And you do this just when you're playing the game. Then there's playing out the action. So how do we actually make sure that when the death is happening, that it's landing? Next is delivering the aftermath. How do you handle that death? What happens right afterwards? And then finally, having a backup plan for when you have to pull the holy shit handle and reverse your choices. <laughs> Let's dive into that first point. So the session zero, this is part one. And a huge part of that discussion that you have to have with the group is how spicy they want that game to be. <laughs> extra, extra, muy caliente. <laughs> This scale kind of does go from like super story, lighthearted fun to super heavy, serious. 
realistic. Yeah, each level of this really does kind of have a trade-off. This is not a decision that I think any one person can make. This is just a discussion that a DM has with the players, and you all kind of hash it out. At kind of level one, you've got that light spice, the lighthearted, you know, it's it's mostly story, it's not stakes, the players can be goofy, they can be whimsical, they can take risks, and there's not a ton of consequence. It's very much the rule of cool to 11, like, yeah, whatever you want to happen happens, and it's just a thrill ride. Yeah, we're just hoping to play some characters and be goofs and tell a weird story. Yeah. And that's totally cool. The challenge with that and the trade-off is that low pressure can be really disengaged sometimes. If you go too easy on things, then it just kind of becomes a farce in and of itself if it gets taken too far. And I think in this kind of a game, you really have to have short, intense combats that are more about the wildness of the environment than the, you know, turn by turn, figuring out how much HP is being damaged and all that stuff. Yeah, it's a very loose way of playing the game. So then you have D&D as it's pretty much played. I think this is like the nice middle ground of death is present, but it's not happening all the time. And there's lots of role play and character development happening. Lots of story. You probably are asking for material components for spells, maybe going a little bit loose on those. Allowing the possibility of resurrection to be real enough that they can get it if they want it, but it's not like snap your fingers kind of easy. Yeah. And then that third level, which is the high stakes. So death is permanent. It's ever present. People can die at a whim. This is usually reserved for the really intense kind of survival stories. And these games are typically a lot crunchier, like you're having to track more things and use more mechanics to make sure that what's being done is fair. The flip side is exactly that, that fairness. At this level, DMs are not generally welcomed to be fudging a lot of roles. It is whatever happens, happens. That's the objective truth. Yeah. So this can be really challenging for a DM sometimes because sometimes the storyteller in us just wants to fudge a little bit. <laughs> so I guess that's why I fall into category number two. I fall somewhere between like two and three, I think. Where do you fall, Jordan? I don't know. I think it depends on the group I'm playing with. My natural state, I think, is between one and two. Okay. But if people want a little more seriousness, I'm down with that. Well... There's our personalities in a nutshell, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Now that we've got all buy-in, and here's another really important point. This buy-in has to be unanimous. If there's one person kind of sitting out, you back down. You go to where everybody is comfortable. Forcing one player into a really, really crunchy game where the rules are law, you're bound to alienate that player. And I think in that case, I mean, it depends on if you're playing because of the group that's come together and you really want to play with these people, or if you're just a group of random people coming together to play D&D, &D, which in that case, maybe this isn't the game for them. If you've got five people that want a super crunchy game and one person that wants to play the chicken dancer lord. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely you. <laughs> then maybe this isn't the game for them and there's no hard feelings or disrespect meant. Either way, 
in your session zero, find a unanimous decision. If you get any resistance, just back it off because you're going to have to find a really nice middle ground. So the next step is core to kind of our character building philosophy. And you'll find this in our backstories from backgrounds episode. And we've got a character planner that is on our website that you can use to build your characters. However, core to that, there is a spot for an ally. Every character that is created at your table should have an ally. And so with that ally, if you want to play a game where when a character dies, there's some option to continue their story, not their character, but just what's happening in their world, make that ally somebody that's competent and can step in and fill their shoes in a party of adventurers. So you wouldn't want to make it the original character's great-grandmother. <laughs> right. Maybe they're not the closest ally. They still can be there. Their five-year-old sibling. So Their pet dog. <laughs> Choo-choo. <laughs> Choo-choo, my, my dearest and closest ally. No. Hey, take up my sword, Choo-choo. <laughs> God damn it. You're the only one. That's the point here is that if you do create an ally in the character building phase that makes it somebody that you would actually be interested in playing as, then this is a great way to go. Because, yeah, like Jordan says, you can just pick up and carry on and avenge that person or what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a strong opinion of ours that <laughs> we don't back down on when we're playing games is don't bring in new characters after a death at other levels. And this is, has to be established in that session zero about what's going to happen. But like, man, does it ever suck starting as a level one in a group of level fives? You're oh. never catching up. You're always going to be way weaker. And this is brought up commonly as kind of a punishment for death. As like, oh yeah, if you lose your character at level five, you have to go back to level one, grind your way up among this other group of much more powerful people. Well, the reality of that is that level one is constantly falling. They're constantly dying. They're probably not going to make it. And then we're still skipping over the fact that the death is the punishment. Yes, yes. Losing a character sucks. You don't need to be additionally punished <laughs> for losing a character. And the only two real options that happens from that is you either have one player that's in a perpetual death loop because <laughs> they're level one. There's a story in there somewhere. I want to get into that, a death loop. Or they're just hanging back, not yeah. really playing. And then you're punishing the rest of the group too. Yeah. Because they have one weak ally. Yeah, exactly. And it's a bigger story stretch for why they decided to bring along. So there's really no great scenario where you can possibly bring people in at lower levels. So it's of our opinion that we just don't do it. And all of this, when it's established in that session zero, makes it so that when the death happens, there's not a big conversation about what to do where one person's at a severe disadvantage because they just died. And if you're a DM, you also don't have to stress over what decision to make in this moment. We're in the middle of a game it's the middle of the night, and we still have two more hours of session to go, what do I do? Yeah. And that leads us to prepping for character death. If you're a DM, you need to prep, both mentally, physically, like, <laughs> cue the montage. Physically? Yeah. Doing some squats. It's intense. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta work the heavy bag. 
You got to go into like a meat locker and punch a side of beef. Yeah. Yeah. You got to meditate for 16 months. Yeah. It's intense. None of that. (laughs) (laughs) But this prep is more just talking about how you're running the game. A lot of this section has one goal is making death due to the player's decisions, not due to an unfair combat, not you're the DM's fault, not due to just an inopportune one. Yeah. Like a rando ass roll that shouldn't have happened, and now all of a sudden somebody's dead. Yeah. One of the things that I think is really important is letting the party know when there's danger at all times. And I know that this kind of sounds like I'm saying warn them of every trap that's going to pop up. (laughs) But all I'm really saying is just don't throw a trap on a country road that can deal a ton of damage and say, ha, you're dead. Yeah, and this is really weird, and I've seen a few DMs do this, and I kind of just shake my head and go, What story purpose did that serve? (laughs) You just wanted danger. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. And really simply, it's just saying like, this is a very dangerous place you're going into. Here's the lore you know. Be prepared. Yeah. And in the dangerous situations that you put them in, give the party a way to get out of it. I know it seems really cool and really like video gamey, but having the doors all close and bringing out the Tarrasque just means they've got nothing to do but fight to the death. Yeah, and I think this goes back to even some of our episodes about puzzles, is have a plan, and you don't necessarily need to plan for a way out of that room. This is a matter of, hey, I've created these conditions, but I'm open to any possibility of solving it. And therefore, when players say, hey, can I do this? No. What about this? No. What about this? Well, that's not the answer I wrote down in my notebook. So therefore, you can't get out of it. That's one of those things that's eventually going to kill some players, and they're going to feel really, really robbed of their player autonomy, saying, hey, the DM had it out for me. The DM had it out for us. They intended to kill us because they didn't give us that way out. Yeah, I didn't have any control in the path, and I just was led to my slaughter. And that is always going to make a pissed off player. Yeah. One last point here before we kind of get into the two different ways that Jordan and I defer when it comes to the methodology behind this, but hidden death saves are a really neat idea. The Angry GM has talked about this in the past around hiding characters' death saving throws so that it's a mystery to everyone, including the GM. And the reason to do this is that there is still no potential for players to give up on a particular character. The rest of the players in the party, they're running around, they're doing stuff. But if we roll out in the open, we know, oh, that person is dead. Therefore, I'm going to focus over here. And that can really lead to uh, some very strange scenarios. Or it just keeps the tension up when they've rolled three successful death saves and they're stable. Fair enough. The other thing that I love about this is that if you choose as the DM to retcon your idea, or again, going back to that being open to all possibilities, if the reaction initially is really challenging and you're worried about the implications and oh no, again, going back to that random arrow from some weak ass goblin (laughs) who just fell a level 10 adventurer, you can always say, nope, that didn't happen. It didn't happen because nobody saw the death saves. Nobody saw the actual outcome. Therefore, I'm going to hold this to my own until 
I can find a better place for this character to die. And that's where we go into the very differing opinions that Jordan and I have about this. So, <laughs> Jordan. Okay, so if we've got a simple example here of the parties fought a bunch of wolves and the last one's running away and the fighter is the only one standing. Everyone else is unconscious. Okay, sounds like a tricky scenario. The fighter's got three hit points left. <laughs> And they really want to get that last wolf just because they really want to get it. If they decide to do that, and I'm the DM, and if they chase that wolf down, and if they get within striking distance of that wolf, and they start attacking that wolf, I'm going to let the wolf attack them back. And if that attack ends up in a death, that's okay because they made all of the decisions leading up to that point. Fair enough. And it is your right to believe so. <laughs> this is my perspective on that whole scenario. So... We've got a high story game. I'm not ever going to allow those characters to die from a wolf. If I have a little bit more of a story planned and we're reaching some critical point within this narrative and I have them going after the evil lich that has turned an undead army on a, a nearby city and on the way they happen to fight some wolves. There is no scenario where I'm going to let any one of those characters die from a wolf bite that did three damage. And the reason is, players only die when it would help or hinder a major story beat. That's it. When it serves the purpose of the story. If I'm playing in a high story kind of game, they die when their sacrifice means something. And I agree that's more epic deaths, but I just think this is one of the points in which movies and TV differ from gameplay is you gotta let characters make those dumb decisions because it's a game. But do you end up playing in a slasher flick where people are making dumb decisions and are just throwaway characters if that person, if that player has worked tirelessly on creating an incredible character with a deep and rich story that's tied intricately into the main quest that we're playing, having that character die from a, an errant arrow from a shitty goblin is going to rob that entire character of the possibility. And that's why I would warn as much as I can that this is going to be a dangerous situation. I'm not going to have a goblin hiding in the shadows take him out and they have no idea. But if they chase down the goblin, I will have that goblin fight for their life. <laughs> well, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> One of my favorite alternatives to this is instead of having that player die and go ahead, drop to zero, sure. But in this scenario, say in that wolf scenario, they are fighting near a hill and they fall and they roll down a hill and they are beaten and broken at the bottom, probably some permanent scarring. That's one of my favorite tricks that I play with my characters is every time one of my characters drops below zero, I now note a permanent scar and I work that into the entire character. Yeah, I like that too. That's fun. You could have a lot of different things happen from, uh, you know, lost fingers to all kinds of different things. It keeps the story moving forward and it still has consequences. And I think this all falls down to the scale of the battle in my mind. If I'm trying to tell a really crunchy story of survival in the tundra, a wolf can absolutely fell my players. However, if I'm telling a grand scale of kingdoms and dragons, then no. Well, that's fair. I probably wouldn't have just a random wolf encounter if I was telling a super grand story. 
but like we are getting down into some very specific scenarios here. Touche. All right, moving on to the next part, which is playing out the action. This is the immediate lead up to that death. This is what to do when the death is coming and you want it to be grand and epic and the magical final moments of that character. We got to make this point meaningful. So our first note here is the player dies mid-session in some dungeon. Actually, no, they don't. (laughs) They don't do that because any mortal wound can sometimes take some time to reach its final conclusion of death. If you're a DM, when you're describing final hits or anything else like that, leave room. Nobody gets beheaded. (laughs) Nobody gets halved, burned into a small pile of dust. There's enough wiggle room there so that even though the player has failed their death saving throws, and I know this is a radical idea, but hang on to this one, (laughs) because the player has failed all three of their death saving throws. They are dead, except they are mortally wounded and Unfortunately, this is just beyond the cleric's abilities. I cannot heal you. And that gives this player the option to play out the rest of the game that night rather than just packing up and going home or sitting there asking build questions while everyone else (laughs) is trying to role play because they're starting on their new character mid-session. Like there's a lot of scenarios where this is just a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. And when it is time for them to die, die. (laughs) The die, die. If you are getting close to the end of the session, you don't have to do that stretch this out technique. You can just have this be their epic final stand. Yeah. And when that's happening, you really want to slow things down. Way further than you would usually go. Yeah. Like that last hit that the enemy's making on them, describe it in dramatic detail. Describe them locking eyes and the rivalry that's been between them or something like that, whatever the story is. But this is happening This player's about to lose their character, and it just makes it so much juicier. Yeah, let it stretch out, because in that moment where I'm about to sacrifice the character that I've been playing for the last six months, the difference between a quick five-second little, oh, and that character is dead, and a 25-second, five-minute, holy (laughs) shit, everything, sparks are flying in slow motion. Like, I'm going to feel so much better about losing that character if I got to be the center of attention for a little while. And I guess this applies to the hits that are going to take somebody down to zero. Yeah. Because you don't know for sure when you're killing them, killing them. But And the next point is that when this death is happening... They're about to lose their character forever. So give them a little bit of control back in these moments. Like Travis was saying, give them time to deal with that mortal wound while they're conscious, but let the player describe their response to their death. Give them time to role play out those final words. Because if you just tell me I'm stabbed in the heart and I'm unconscious and I die. (laughs) Oh, jeez. That is rough. Okay. I had a lot I wanted to do with this character. I mean, how many movie death scenes have just like wordlessly stopped? (laughs) Everyone gets a last monologue. Yeah. James Bond doesn't just get shot and it's over. (laughs) Tumbles into the river only to be found two weeks later in Tahiti. Yeah. The other thing that we can do in this moment is we can really prompt the rest of the players at the table to give their reactions. Yeah. 
A lot of players aren't thinking about this when they're in the midst of combat because somebody went down as they were thinking what their next three moves was possibly going to be. They're probably very wrapped up in what the best next you know, spell or ability to use is because things are getting dire. And their head is not in that dramatic space. So just taking a moment to pause when a player drops to zero and going quickly in the same turn order around to everyone else at the table. What's your reaction to this person going down? Yeah. And in that moment, if it's something as simple as another player saying, no, (laughs) or they're actually then changing their plans. That's the other side of the scale is that the cleric of the group says, holy shit, never mind the rest of the stuff that I was planning. This is now my entire focus. And we're less likely to have to deal with a permanent character death when somebody goes down to zero. Yeah. The next step is deliver the aftermath. So how does your world respond to this character dying? And so much of the world can respond. Don't have all of the NPCs that that character has interacted with just be like, oh, hey, guys, um, you're missing someone. <laughs> Dang. Darn. Whatever. What are, you, what are you having to drink? Yeah. <laughs> One down. Oh, it happens, you know. <laughs> People die every day, man. (laughs) No, the entire world stops for a beat. The favored bartender at the same tavern that they frequent, you know, they take a moment, they put their hand over their heart and they sing a tune. But for the next couple of sessions, anybody who has had contact with that character that has now passed takes a moment just to reflect and talk about the differences in their world. And this feels really kind of sappy, but it's going to feel awesome to the player who lost the character. No kidding. You could even take it to the next step. And, you know, if they've had an impact on communities, they can be, you know, honor them with a day. What are we going to do without them? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Uh, There's now a parade in their honor. Yeah. Scheduled for... The day that they came to town or oh, something that'd be like that. Great. There's all these floats of them in different action poses. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool as a player. The rickety one made by Mrs. Feldsbottom's grade one class <laughs> that's all <laughs> goofy looking and made it a popsicle sticks. We love you, Mr. Magic. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, they fantastic. came to just call you Mr. Magic instead of your real name. <laughs> the point being make it a thing. So the next part is having an ally step in. Now we referenced this earlier on in the episode. Yeah, so this is the point at which any of those competent allies that that dead character has in the world, no matter where they might be, are going to be asking how they died and offering any help they can. And if the player wants to play one of them, this is where they offer the ultimate sacrifice and say, okay, I'm all in on their quest. I love it. And this can be done as simply as just having the party send a letter to their next of kin. And that ally is now their next of kin saying, hey, this person fell in battle. And this gives a great narrative reason why that ally wants to come back into the party. And then, of course, if the party says, hey, we recovered their sword and their shield and we want you to have them. As soon as that ally comes to meet up with the rest of the party in the next session, says, No, this death will not go unavenged. I will join you on their quest. So whatever they were end up doing, is it slay the monster or is it overthrow the evil king? Either way, this is now their quest too. And they get, the player gets to play somebody new and fun and interesting. 
and still stay rooted within the story. And that's the big point here is that just trying to fold in some rando ass character is not going to hold the same story weight as having an ally take up their quest. Because no matter what, you're going to need to find a narrative reason to make somebody join the party. And it's really easy to make them pretty flimsy just in the sake of a party. (laughs) Yeah. And finally, when it all goes to shit because no plan makes it (laughs) through a session or a campaign, you got to have a backup plan. So what, what do you do when it hasn't been done that well and a character dies anyways and you have those DM regrets? Well... This is typically where we see people reaching out to D&D communities on Reddit or on Facebook and saying, help, I've lost a player. I don't know how to get them back into the game. And this is usually where somebody from the community, and you'll see like 50 of the exact same posts, they go to another plane of existence where dead people go to go and retrieve them, or they go to hell and try to rescue them or whatever the case may be. And that's okay advice. I don't particularly love it. Because what you're telling me as a DM is, hey, whatever story that you had planned, well, fuck that, because (laughs) you're about to change it. And so what you're talking about is a five or 10 session part of the campaign where you have to go and rescue the dead party member. And what's the dead party member doing in between now and then and being rescued? So I don't particularly love that one. Plus, what happens when someone dies in hell? Where do they go? (laughs) Like, what if you have more character deaths? (laughs) Here's my idea. What about a deal with a warlock patron? So the player has died. Now the player hears in their head, in the afterlife, I can bring you back, but first you must make this deal. Yeah. Now, again, this is very common. So a lot of people will suggest, hey, yeah, just have uh, their deity or a demon bring them back. Uh, sign over their mortal soul. Okay, that's fine (laughs) as well. However... It's a quick and easy way to get them back in the game. Yeah, it doesn't really have a lot of story consequences unless you make it. But what if they came back as a warlock? So no matter what class they were. Whatever class they were, they are now taking a warlock dip because in order to get some of those warlock abilities, they now have a different purpose. Sure, they can continue to go along with the story and the campaign as it is. However, they are being given a higher purpose by either cleric deity, a warlock patron, something else that says, hey, I'll bring you back, but you're going to work for me now. Yeah, you could work in almost any class to this too. Like a patron or a god doesn't just have to make you a cleric or a warlock. You can justify it being a sorcerer or... Absolutely. A barbarian a druid, any kind of weird otherworldly (laughs) force of which there are plenty in D&D can be used to bring somebody back. Yeah. What's your idea for a a way to bring somebody back? Okay, well, I'm going to cheat a little bit and stretch this out into a Millie's Shop of Wonders because there's too many ideas. (laughs) All right. What magical trinket can't you discover among the shelves in Millie's Shop of Wonders? This is all about items that you can insert into your games that defy death, (laughs) that slap that bony asshole right in the face. (laughs) And the first of which is ripped straight from video games. 
We're talking uh, Prince of Persia style. Oh. So you can imagine this as maybe a bottle of thyme sand. Ooh. <laughs> yes, the Jake Gyllenhaal masterpiece. <laughs> but it's basically just a, a single-use save file. If you allow the party to come to a group decision on when they can literally just like save their progress in the world, and they can only do it one time, it's going to be quite the decision. It's a beacon or something. Uh a light or a staff that is planted in the ground just outside of the dragon's lair. Yeah. That dictates if the party dies in this encounter, they'll be resurrected once. And not only does this make death a little less likely, but it also means that in that fight, everyone's going to be a little looser just for the one fight. It's almost like going from a crunchier game to a lighter one just for the one encounter. Just for the lols. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, you can get a little bit more dramatic. And when you're faced with that decision, do I do a flying leap off of the cliff onto the dragon's back and go for the kill? Hell yeah, I do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and and of course, the item itself doesn't have to be super serious either. You could make oh, it no. like a, a bottle of liquid glue that you have to sit there and paint everyone with completely. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> where do you come up with this stuff? <laughs> Who knows where thoughts come from? <laughs> Okay, what's your next item? Well, how about the periapt of soul stuffing? <laughs> Already this sounds like a you item. <laughs> soul stuffing. Well, somebody hangs this little sucker around their neck. And then when somebody dies, you can use this to jam their soul back into the nearest, most functional body. <laughs> <laughs> so in this scenario, somebody falls... And they can't go back into their own body. They now inhabit the goblin that you killed two rooms over. Well, see, this is for when you do those more irreversible kills. You know, when the head does get lopped off and it's like, oh, okay, can't stuff him back into his own body. Got it. Okay. Yeah. The the goblin that just kind of like bled out from a arrow to the leg. Well, in this scenario, I really do want the party to be in a big dragon fight only to have just killed the dragon as my character dies. There you go. Now I'm an immortal <laughs> dragon. Yeah, I guess it has pretty wild consequences. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I mean, you never know what was buried just two feet below where they fell. Yeah. You never know what's in the next adjacent <laughs> room. It could be anything. And your final item? The resurrection stone. So with this bad boy... When somebody dies, the wielder of it can roll 1d4 to attempt to resurrect their fallen ally. Wow, powerful. It only works on a 4. Okay, so you have to roll the highest number. Yeah, you get a 25% chance on a d4, highest number, like you said. They succeed, and a success will bring that fallen character back. Incredible. Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty, uh, pretty powerful. Now, a failure does not. They're still dead. They can keep attempting this, but... The next time they attempt it, that dice goes up to a d6. Ah. And they have to roll the six. If they fail again, the dice goes up to a d8 and all the way up. Okay. Now, it still seems like a pretty good item, pretty easy. The downside is that each attempt inflicts one level of exhaustion on the person attempting it. Okay, so this is an incredibly powerful item. However, continuing to try to resurrect somebody has the potential to cause your own death if you got, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, or all the way up to a D20. Yeah, exactly. And if you fail that D20 roll, you die? 
if you push yourself all the way there, you die. I mean, you could swap Ooh. out with another character if they want to take that risk, but it's also getting wildly unlikely that you're going to succeed. I love some gambling in my games, so <laughs> this sounds right up my alley. There you go. I mean, it's almost a one-time use item with its increasing unlikeliness, but... This is a diabolical Russian roulette. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you're in a tough situation, that's a pretty hard decision to make. And the other rule to it is that whoever comes back comes back at level two exhaustion. Ah, okay. So they're still weak, even though they've just been resurrected. Yeah, I mean, you die. That's going to hurt for a while. <laughs> I like it. We're going to have to flesh that one out into an actual item. Don't be afraid to include weird-ass rules to help you when you mess things up. <laughs> is the moral of the story. <laughs> well, very good. I hope that we've helped you with dealing with character death. It's a scary thing. Yeah, when you've never dealt with it before, you're super uncomfortable with the concept. If you found this episode or any other of our previous episodes helpful, you know what you can do to help us? You write a quick little review. Just give us some uh, some pointers, some tips. What would you do with this podcast? Yeah, or you can, you know, tell a pal that you heard a neat podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or you very subtly send it to the DM that screwed over your last character and say, <laughs> this is how you deal with character deaths. There you go. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. And you can join an awesome community of players and DMs by joining our Discord. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and become immortal. Games. Then you can avoid this whole thing. It's rolling.